0: Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. This morning we are in a sermon series covering the I am statements of Jesus. These are from the Gospel of John. He said several times, I am the bread. Last week, I am the light. I am the resurrection and the life, etc. So we're going to deliberately turn our eyes to the Lord and look at these several statements. I am this Sunday. I am the light. There are some sermon notes in your service leaflet, which unfortunately will not do a whole lot of good. Occasionally the Notes on Thursday or outline Thursday has little reference to the final product on Sunday and that, that is the case this Sunday. So uh, outline for us to follow for this morning. We're gonna start with a simple metaphor. Then a, uh, or excuse me, we're gonna start with an important image, light. Then move on to a simple metaphor. I am the light and then we're going to end with a challenging application, all right? So let's look at, think about those three things an important image, light. Now light in the Bible is almost universally a good thing. Uh, In the story of creation, darkness hovers over the face of the earth and God said, let there be light. Now, you know, through the seven days of creation recorded in Genesis, that God creates the trees and the birds and the, it's everything else. And at the end, he says, it's all very good, but there's only one, only one piece individually that God says, it alone is good. You know what that one thing is? Light. Light alone is the one thing that by itself, God declares to be very good. God created the light and beheld, behold, it was good. And that's consistent to the Bible light is almost always good Uh, light is associated with god god is we're told he dwells in light inaccessible he is clothed in a light he's wrapped in garments of light in psalm 104 verse 2 light represents the presence of god and darkness represents the presence of those forces that oppose god in ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 we're told that the spiritual forces that oppose god rule the what the darkness of course light uh, fills eternity we're told in Revelation chapter 21. There will be no sun, there will be no moon for the glory of God gives light and by its nations will walk and uh, make sense of light is uh, a characteristic of eternity with God then darkness is characteristic of an eternity without him. Jesus spoke often of an outer darkness away from God. Light represents God, is associated with God, is equated with God's help. Send out your light and your salvation. Light represents the presence of God. Light represents the comfort of God. But there's one thing especially that light does for the people of God, and that is light guides the people of God. Be a light to my feet, a lantern unto my way. Uh, You heard in our song, be thou my vision, guide my feet. Uh, The idea that God and his characteristic of light guides people is something you're all very common with or very familiar with. And I think when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, what he especially had in mind was this aspect that light guides. Now let me explain this statement. I am the light of the world occurred in a specific setting. If you back up one chapter to chapter seven, you find that Jesus spoke during the Feast of Tabernacles. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? Great question. Glad you asked. The Feast of Tabernacles is an Old Testament celebration around September, October. It was during the time of harvest. And that feast in particular uh, celebrated or commemorated God's care for the Israelite people during their wilderness wandering. So think of your Bible history. For 40 years, God's people wandered in the, in, the, in the desert. And during that time, God provided bread from heaven, water from a rock, and there are certain symbols and symbolic gestures during the feast that call to mind uh, God's provision during those 40 years. For instance, there was water that was poured over an altar. By the way, when Jesus said, uh, I am living water, same feast. That very same moment, when the water uh, that nourished the people of God during the wilderness, uh, that is when He said, I am the living water. Further, during these 40 years of wandering, God guided His people. Remember the pillar of fire that led God's people by night, by the glowing cloud that led God's people by day. Uh, And during the Feast of Tabernacles, this Uh, aspect of God's care that he guided his people was commemorated by four great lamps. Four great lamps that burnt at a special place. Guess where that special place was? It just so happened to be in uh, the temple treasury. Note where Jesus was verse 20 when he spoke these words when he said I am the light of the world he was in the temple treasury the same place where these four great lights that uh, represented God's guidance for his people. That is when he said, I am the light of the world. That pillar of fire that guided through the wilderness, that's me. I am your light. Don't follow that pillar. Follow me. Notice that the the passage says they they didn't kill him, which is kind of odd. He spoke these words, but no one arrested him because his eye. Why would. Someone arrests arrest Jesus for saying, I'm the light of the world, doesn't seem too incendiary, does it? Well, here's why he was inserting himself into God's place. Don't follow that pillar. Follow me. So, an important image, light. Characteristic of God, and especially, it guides the people of God. A simple metaphor. I, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so now we move to the challenging application. Because you... The challenging application is how. All right, Jesus, you're the light of the world. Help me follow you. We don't have a glowing pillar to guide us by night. We can't physically look. Oh, th- th- there he is. We're going to walk after him. And This is an idea we're familiar with. How do you and I deliberately follow Jesus? Um, especially in moments when the stakes are high. It's play on football time. And you always want to play by the rules. You always want to play, give your best. But when we get to the fourth quarter, 30 seconds left on the clock, you want to make sure at the critical moments you're doing everything you can. There are moments in your life and moments in my life where we want to be special. Should we be mindful always of following Jesus? Yeah, of course. But there will be special moments. Uh, high-stakes moment where we want to be especially conscientious of following Jesus. And we're in one of those moments as a church. We are in pursuit of a permanent church home. And I'm going to talk, use our situation of where we are to think about how we have and how we have attempted to follow Christ in this high-stakes moment, in this important moment, and I do so for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to be reassured. I want you to know some of the thought process of, the, of this uh, committee and Vestry and my thought process. And secondly, you are going to go through your own high-stakes moment when you think, boy, yeah, I should always be deliberate about following Jesus, but here is one moment where the stakes are just a little bit higher. So for the remainder of our time, I just want to offer a couple of principles that you and I can, that will help us follow Jesus at all times, but especially when the stakes are high, all right? Principle number one, renounce secret ways. I'm drawing from 2 Cor- Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. The author is a, uh, the Apostle Paul, and he says this, we have renounced secret ways. Disgraceful, underhanded, or hidden ways. Instead, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Right? So the, the context is very different. The Apostle Paul is not pursuing a, a permanent church home, uh, a permanent property for a church home. No, but he is, uh, but the stakes are high for the Apostle Paul. And what he says to the people that he's writing to is Look, everything that I have done is, I I, I have. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, I'm an open book. There's no hidden secrets. There's no hidden agenda. And here's the thing that I've noticed. that When the stakes are high, when the pressure is building, it's easy for you and me to make murky decisions. Right? It's easy for us to make a rounding error. It's easy to have a conversation that, yeah, you know, you probably shouldn't. These aren't morally repugnant. They're just things that you wouldn't want everyone else to know about. And the Apostle says, I've renounced it. He's taken a a forceful stand against murky decisions. And that's pretty important. And as I think about the journey that we have been on as a church, uh, our property search committee, our vestry, I cannot guarantee that we've made all the right decisions. But I, 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 there's nothing that we have said or done where I think, boy, I hope you guys don't find out about that. So that's our first principle. When the stakes are high, when you feel that pressure building, just know that murky decisions are easy to make. And take a, take a cue from the apostle. Renounce secret and underhanded way. So that's our first principle. Second principle. How do you follow Jesus when the stakes are high? Be eager to hear guiding principles from his word. Now this is no surprise, right? Uh, But let me just say what you already know. The Bible is a living book. It is living and active. It is not just a history book. It's not just a book of doctrine. But the Bible's testimony of itself is that it is alive. And therefore, when you and I come to places like church where the Bible is open and explained, we should, not, we should be eager. We should hope that God's word would address the very things that you and I are, are, are wrestling with. It is alive. We should be eager for guiding principles. Notice I didn't say we should be eager for exact specifications. We should not think that we're going to open the Bible and say, Lord, should we or should we not? Lord, should I go here or there? Lord, should I? No, but we should be eager for guiding principles. So this past week we received the, the potential offers uh, uh, selling uh Price for this uh, property, which would be, which was higher than we anticipated. Not really a, that much of a surprise, but you know, a little bit of bad news. And the next day, as uh, was part of my regular discipline, is to read through the Psalms. And that day was Psalm 37, which said, begins like this: "Fret not, trust in God, do good, and dwell in the land." Now, that is not telling me or anybody, what to do specifically. But it is telling me generally what I needed to hear because, boy, I was inclined to fret. Anxiety, jealousy, envy, frustration. Fret not. Don't worry. Trust in God and do good. Second way you and I should... Deliberately attempt to follow Jesus when the stakes are high is to be eager to hear from him through his word. Sunday morning, when you open the Bible for your own personal reflection. Third, again, you, you, this is nothing new here. Third way we hear from Jesus and we del- we're deliberate about following him is we are open to the wise counsel of godly individuals. We just go further when we go together. And one of the the, God's providential care, one of the ways I detect God's providential care for this church in this season is by the, the team that is a part of our vest- the team of our vestry as well as our property search committee. Like you could not have stacked the deck any better. Uh, you know, we have people with expertise, uh, professional expertise in the areas that we need. People that are uh, without exception, godly and wise. And boy, it has been such a joy to call, to lean on, to have someone pick up the slack when I'm feeling a little bit a little bit worn down. Notice I didn't say that God. we should expect godly counsel from other people. No, we should expect wise counsel from godly people because sometimes we want want someone else to make a decision for us. That's just not the way it works. One person has to make a decision and we can't expect that God is going to speak to someone else directly. No, we're going to look for wise counsel do they know for certain no but it's wise counsel from godly people you're going to face your own critical decision when the stakes are high how do you follow Jesus when the stakes are high seek wise counsel from godly people fourth and final is that eventually you just have to get up and go This word, follow me, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, follow me. It's the word, acolutheo, from which we get the word, acolyte. So in our tradition, you know, the acolytes, the young worshipers, will follow the Christ. They're the people that actually uh, start walking and following a particular direction. And the fourth and final thing that you and I need to do to follow Jesus deliberately is to make a decision and get up and go. There's actually two I am statements in this passage it says Jesus says I am the light of the world right there's actually a second I am statement same phrase same structure it's in verse 18 you see it I am the word is witness I am the witness and here's the context Jesus says I am the light of the world his critics say wait 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 who says Jesus says I say I am my own witness. He is the period at the end of the question of says who. Says who I say, says Jesus. He, Jesus is the affirmation of his own statement. And here's the point. You're never going to know if Jesus is the light of the world as a spectator. The only way, you see what Jesus is saying, you want to know I'm the light of the world? Give it a shot. Follow me. You'll find out. You you will never know if Jesus is the light of the world standing on the sidelines. You have to do what he says to do. Pick up, follow him, and as you do, he will affirm who he says he is. And I think that applies in any number of situations. How do you know? How do you know if it's God's will to go here or there? Pursue this or pursue that. Here's what you do. You renounce secret ways. You're going to say, I'm going to be above board. You open the scriptures. You look for guiding principles. You talk to godly people and seek wise counsel. And then you make a decision. And you start moving along. And friends, I believe we have a good church. I believe that this is a good home for our good church. I believe that the vestry has set a reasonable, ambitious, challenging financial goal. That if we hit it, we, I believe, will have a reasonable chance of landing this property. I can make no guarantees. And here's how we will know if it's God's will for the church. It's not by sitting back and thinking, huh, I wonder where the tea leaves will fall. We will know if it's God's will if after a month of fully pursuing what we believe to be God's will, we'll know the answer. And then we'll know. So those are four things that I've been thinking about, as I've attempted to lead this church to this situation, four things that I think are gonna be equally applicable when you face those high stakes questions, when the stakes are high. Open God's word, eager for his guidance, listen to others, renounce secret ways, and then you say, given what I know now, this is where I think we have to go. I want to end with one note of encouragement. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus Jesus does not say whoever follows me will walk in light. It's true. Jesus says whoever follows me will have light. That's striking, isn't it? Not just you're gonna, you're gonna, Jesus will be, it's, it's kinda like what Jesus says, I am yours and you are mine. It's not that you're just gonna follow light, but you're gonna have light. I'm not quite sure what that means, to tell you the truth. Most times I don't feel like I have the light of life. But there's a great scene from my favorite book, The Lord of the Rings, that I think gets at this truth. That's described here, you, as you follow Jesus, will have light. This is from, well, at a certain point in the Lord of the Rings, the characters are given gifts for their journey. They're given their gifts by a queen, and some are given cloaks. But Frodo, the main character, is given a small glass, and the queen says, for you, ring-bearer, I have prepared this. And she held up a small crystal glass. It glittered as she moved it with rays of white light. In this glass, she said, is caught the light of stars. It will shine brighter when night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. So fast forward, and Frodo and his faithful Friend Sam are in a very very dark place. There's a bad creature that's lurking in the shadows, and Sam, uh, Frodo's friend, says, "Frodo, remember the glass—a light when all of the lights go out." So slowly, Frodo put his hand in his bosom and held the glass aloft. For a moment, it glimmered faint as a rising star struggling in the heavy mist. And then, as its power waxed and hope grew in Frodo's mind, it began to burn, a silver flame. The darkness receded from it until his hands sparkled with white fire. And here's the thing. Following Jesus is not easy. And even if you renounce secret ways, and even if you look for guiding principles in his word, and even if you listen to the wise counsel of others, and even if you decide on the course that you're going to find yourself in a dark place if you're pursuing anything that's worth pursuing. There's going to be times for all of us when it seems like the lights are out. And in those times especially, When the stakes are high, we should remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Please rise.